What's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to The Digest. This is episode 30. And on this week's show, the double feature, we've got a pair of psycho killer films. Psycho killer, uh, kiss kissa, dude. Kiss kissa, dude. Uh, (laughs) The films are My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To, as well as uh, The House That Jack Built. Should be a fun one. We will get into it shortly. But first, let me introduce my co-hosts. Uh, as always, Paris, welcome. Hey, happy to be here. Happy to hear it. And of course, perennial co-host, Travis, welcome. Hey, Matt, it's hot as balls up in here. Uh, did you prepare a question for me? Uh, not today. Fuck. Matt. Are we doing that for this show? I thought that was a that, mainline show. That's, that's show. the bit. That's the bit. The bit the board. is the Literally question. Literally just for this show. Just only questions? <laughs> uh, well, to be fair, we did do it last Digest. We was it? About... Was that not the draft? No. Nope. That was the that was where it was coined. I'm pretty sure. Oh shit! Yeah. All right. Well, what's Shows your favorite you color? Matt doesn't even listen to episodes. This is my favorite question to answer because I always say black, and people love to tell me that's it's not a color, and then I like to tell them to fuck off. Well, you won't hear that from me because black is also <laughs> my favorite color. So. Is it black <laughs> yeah. all the colors? Like in color theory, like is it black all the colors? No, I think it's the absence of color and, and white uh, is all the colors. I think you're reversed. No, I think Am that's I? right. I'm pretty sure I've had this explained. Listen, this is our favorite color, Paris, okay? <laughs> Stay in your lane. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was trying to defend you guys because if it's the absence of color, then that means it can't be your favorite color. You idiot. It's a God. color. It's a color. My defense is, uh, you know, if you're like shopping for a T-shirt or something and you can pick a different color, one of the color options is black. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. That's just science. Boom. Cool. What about you, Paris? What's your favorite color? Purple. Cool. <laughs> Is it because you like like Barney or some shit? Or? <laughs> no, um, it's because uh, purple is traditionally the color of royalty because um, the color purple, like naturally the dye comes from shellfish and they're, they're like really hard to um, uh, not manufacture, like get the color out of. So like only royal people could wear the color purple because it was so expensive because it was so difficult to have like purple colored shit so um wow. yeah look at me my name is paris <laughs> and i'm royalty i'm sorry yeah, well, I like I, that, i'm the only one that had cool. to defend <laughs> i am the only one that had to defend what my color was god no just looking for you know elaboration he's ball. looking for that that trivia and then i told you and then the you, got, <laughs> you said i was being a dummy so Cool. Uh, All right. Are I can you guys already satisfied? tell this is going to be a fun episode. Fuck. All right. Are you satisfied now? Can I move on? That was That's great. Your fucking question. Right. Keep those questions coming. 
It's always coming with the heavy hitters, you know? Okay. Well, let's just let's just get right into it. Uh, we've got two films we're going to tackle. Uh, we're going to start things off with My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. And uh, Paris, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your thought process? Perhaps issue an apology, you know. <laughs> I'll let you uh, <laughs> kick things off here. So I'm going to start by saying no apology and no regrets. Um, I had not seen either of these movies. And sometimes when I come up with a theme, I go by what the vibe seems like. You know, what are the what are the vibes here? And the vibes for both of them was like crazy serial killer nonsense, a.k.a. psycho killer kiss kiss a. We'll never not stop doing that. Um, <laughs> so I think that uh, I will not be issued an apology, although I do love that we secretly somehow got another vampire movie in here. Well, to be fair, all of the like plot synopses of this movie are like super vague. But it was funny. Like it took, I don't know, five minutes into the movie before I was like, oh, this is this is a vampire movie, isn't it? <laughs> um, which, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that some more. Um, and obviously, if this is your first time here, uh, full spoilers for the movies we discuss. So if you're interested in watching it, uh, come back to it. But we're just going to dive right into it. To be fair, though, there is killing in this movie. It's just I think the motivations are a little different for both movies. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally. think it, it's not that like psycho killer like can't be applicable. It's just that the house of Jack built is very much that. And this is definitely like trying to be a spin on, on a vampire story, which, you know, vampires are inherently killers as well. So um, it's not like completely out of the, this lane, but but are they psycho? Is that fair to call them that? I would say that the people in this movie specifically, not in all vampire movies, but in this one specifically, definitely are off. They're not 100% straight and narrow, just doing the damn thing. They are all over the place. Some of them even exhibit some stuff that one might call psycho, you know? So I think it stands. <clears throat> it's debatable, but we'll get into it. <laughs> well, before we uh, kick things off, let me just go ahead and read the IMDb plot synopsis for this movie. So it's it's short and sweet, very vague. Two mysterious siblings find themselves at odds over care for their frail and sickly younger brother. Uh, it's written and directed by Jonathan Quertas, and the film stars... Patrick Fugit, a.k.a. Almost Famous Boy, uh, Ingrid Sophie Schramm, and Owen Campbell. They play the three siblings in the film. Um, Paris, I'll, I'll let you um, go first on this one, if you don't mind. What, what did you end up thinking about this, this here full, uh, flick? Yeah, so... This will actually be true for both of these, but I'm I'm still still unsure how I feel as a whole. I was kind of like hoping to get some more clarity as we discuss. 
But I think that it is kind of interesting that we already sort of brought it up as, like, this type of... The, like, the killers in this movie are, especially Patrick Fugit, like, are very much the opposite of the killers um, in our other film in that it, it's, it's, it's a very reluctant kill. It's not because they want to. It's not. It's, it's because they feel that they have to. And it's, I don't know, it, I kind of like the exploration of that, of the, you know, the obligation to one's family and how that's the real horror there. But uh, it didn't get me as much as I kind of was expecting it to. It felt a little small and slow. And not to say that the movie isn't trying to do that. I think that's very purposeful. But some of it it wasn't that engaging anyway in that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I, I ultimately, I'm kind of right down the middle, maybe skewing negative. Um, I found it kind of dull. Uh, so essentially the spin on the vampire story in this movie is that typically when you think of a vampire, you think of like, a creature or a person who is like intimidating and they're a predator. Right. So the whole conceit of this film is that like the vampire is like sickly and weak and can't fend for himself. So that's interesting concept. Right. I just feel like it's not enough to sustain a feature length movie. Like the character work for me is a little too generic and uninteresting to like really make the concept all that interesting. And you, I think you said you referred to it as a slow burn. That's how I felt. But most slow burn movies that I like culminate in something right by the end of the movie, I kind of felt like it went where I kind of thought it might go from the beginning and was not very satisfying either from a climax level or from a character level. So I just found myself kind of, I don't know, feeling cold by the end of it. There's some interesting ideas at play, but clearly very low budget. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, I ultimately was not super impressed by it. I think that was the point, Matt, to feel cold watching this. Which is fine. You know, there's plenty of movies yeah. like that, but I just... Totally. I don't know. Well, what what did you think? This is your second right. time seeing it, right? Yep. So I like this movie quite a bit, but I think you have to give like the caveat um, that it's like going for a more grounded, like mundane approach to the vampire genre, and also it's not a very large budget, probably not very much of a budget at all, because um, for the most part, the whole movie takes place in one house, so like one location. I mean, there's a few other locations, but I think for the most part, it's pretty contained. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I feel similar to you guys, but I think I maybe liked it the most out of us. Um, I do think it kind of runs out of steam. Like I'm, I was on board. For, I'm on board for like the first half or so, and then I feel like it doesn't really know where to go or how to end it. And then it finally gets to an ending that is, I guess, ultimately satisfying for what this is, but. Like at the end, it's not like super remarkable or memorable. Um, I think the thing that really like 
maybe gives it that little extra bump for me is just like the, I guess like the theme or message it's trying to go for. Like it's pretty much trying to like relate caring for a vampire in your family as like a sick or loved one and just the like toll it can take on everyone, including the sick person, but you know, also the caretakers. Um, but yeah, um, beyond that, I mean, there's, I guess there's a couple good tense moments in the movie, but I mean, we've seen better examples of that in other movies. Um, it did give me, it did remind me of two different movies that I do love, um, but it's definitely weaker than both of those. It has a uh, midnight special quality to it, but instead of being on the run, they just stay at home. And then um, <laughs> it also has the Let the Right One In vibe to it where the caretakers um, aren't maybe as well-trained to do the caretaking as they should be, uh, which involves killing <laughs> and providing blood for their their vampire person. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I got. I agree with you in the sense that I do think both of those movies are way better than this movie. I agree with you there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you can see the the parallels. Well, so just real quick, here's my thing with the angle that it takes as far as like, you know, the familial aspect and like the burden of being a caregiver and all that stuff. It, it just doesn't really resonate with me in an interesting or empathetic way because that involves killing innocent people which is fine i love movies where innocent people get killed that's my shit but i think part of why it kind of rubbed me the wrong way is they go the route of like okay well let's kill let's specifically try to kill people who will have the littlest impact people that nobody would love or care about right and they go after specifically sex workers and you know non-english speaking immigrants like i don't but i get still it i feel guilty it, but, about but it it's also, not <laughs> right, right, no i get that well, but it's just i i wanted it's problematic though on yes <laughs> it's it's problematic in that they do that but that is generally also what serial killers do is they target people who are more on the fringes of standard society and will be less looked for if something happens to them like sex workers like the unhoused like people who don't have anyone there like that felt very realistic and i actually kind of applauded the movie for doing that it's Paris that's is just trying to tie into her theme <laughs> I, I get i get the rationale behind i'm not it. I, I i really I thought that <laughs> i i understand why they make that choice it just i don't know it, it it makes it difficult for me to like have empathy for the characters just because i mean at one point i think it's the sister because they're preying on the people who are like maybe more weak in our society or well yeah more easy to prey on it, it would even have bothered me less if it if this it's really it's the sister she she makes a comment explicitly uh, in, in reference to the prostitute at the motel because uh, the, the guy, the brother says she probably knows a lot of people. And then she makes a comment about how, like, no, no one cares about her, you know, because so she's. I 
when I was referencing that some people are actually, I feel like, maybe described as psycho, I was specifically referring to the sister because I feel like we kind of watch her lose some of her humanity when she starts like targeting the sex worker and she go and she goes for her even though she knows that that her that's someone who her brother knows and like would obviously be affected by bringing that person to the house like it almost feels like she does that out of like a punishment or like a rage at like like no one likes the situation they're in, right? The brother doesn't want to be doing this. The vampire brother it hates that he is sick and doesn't have friends. You know, the sister also seems to, like, resent them for it. But I think the way that everyone handles it is so different. And that is interesting in of itself. Like, the brother, the Patrick Fugit brother, handles it by, like, sort of going within himself and 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 crumpling and getting smaller and smaller and then the sister handles it by like almost the opposite by like shedding her humanity and like just face forward diving into it because this has to happen this is what needs to happen she's like taking control well and the moral dilemma that uh patrick fugit's character is constantly dealing with is also like in response to you matt because he does feel guilt for it like the entire time and that gets him and his family in trouble as a result so i think it, it's i think it's trying to balance that more than just like taking an easy way out and saying oh we'll just prey on the people who the society doesn't care about i think for me ultimately it just boils down to those roles within that family setting would be more thoroughly and realistically explored if you removed the vampire element. You know what I mean? And I, that's, that's how you what this sell movie this, is doing. How are you going to sell this piece of shit unless well, you no, uh, I mean, I get, put the genre spin on it? Well, then, you know, that's I, I get, part of it. <laughs> Matt, I get what you're saying, that like it would be more like on the nose if you were literally like, this is a sick sibling and how do we provide for them? But I thought the fact that they that they made it more extreme, that they're not just like having to work shitty jobs and having to do stuff they don't like and not being able to have a life. Like it's all of that. Plus they also have to murder. Like it just made everything so much more extreme and so much more interesting and sort of like, I don't know, like I have family members that have had to take care of other sick family members like currently now. Mm -hmm. And it, it feels very much like that. Like they're not allowed to have their own life they can't do anything without that person. Like, if they even want to, like, go do something by themselves, they have to find, like, someone to be with them. Like, it's it's tough. It, it's, it's not fair. And I think having the extreme of, like, it's not just that, but it's, like, also you have to, like, fully go beyond the realms of what we would think is okay and what would you do for your family i i don't know i thought that that was a more interesting way of exploring that than just literally having it be a sick sibling yeah no i I, you guys are making totally fair points it just it it prevented me from really like the material resonating with me if it'd be different if it was like a scary movie or if it was like actually 
tense. Like the one tense scene that I can point to and I can say, okay, this was actually pretty cool and well done was the scene with the neighborhood boy, right? Who comes into the house that Mm -hmm. because there's like the, the really awkward encounter that he has with the, with the brother and just like the way they talk to each other. But then there was also a part of me that was like, why is this kid still here? Like, why hasn't he left? Like, it just doesn't seem like something a boy that age would do. You know, I feel like the normal reaction and this is, it's the the wrong reaction to have, but the normal reaction or the one that you would maybe expect would be for the neighborhood boy to be like, you're a fucking weirdo. I'm going to get out of here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if he was that kind of boy, I don't think he would have come over at all. Well, what did the note say exactly that he threw out there? Do we know? Uh, I forget. I th- I want to say it's in the movie though. Yeah, I, can't I thought we didn't said. know. Travis, maybe I was relying though. on you since you've seen this. <laughs> well, if no one remembers it, then maybe it didn't happen. It wouldn't have been that impactful anyway. Even if if it did, we don't remember what it was. So it doesn't didn't need the reason. But that scene I thought was was really well done. Um, Where he opens the door I and. Thought- throws the airplane out i thought that was pretty cool oh yeah and then he comes up behind him with uh, the blanket or whatever so good it's a pretty cool moment yeah also another tense scene was like when patrick fugit uses his own blood to give to the brother and the brother's like got it like on the ground or something and he like looks up at him and he's like is this your blood i was like "Ooh, he's gonna eat him for sure (laughs) Is there any real explanation given as to why he can't just hunt for himself? Is it just because he's like, well, just, he's, he's like just weak. Like, is that it? Yeah. They're, I mean, I think it's just like they're, they're worried about him and yeah, he looks pretty frail and he has like no experience really. Oh, we don't really know the whole backstory. So it's, there's none. Like who, yeah. Yeah. Who even knows how long he's been a vampire? Like maybe his whole life. I don't know, but I just got the impression that he guys. wasn't capable to do it. So that's why his brother and sister were. Mm-hmm. It It's an interesting angle. I find that on paper, very interesting and compelling. I just feel like the movie itself didn't explore that as well as I maybe hoped it would. Yeah. I also feel like I'm just less harsh on it in general, just because it is lower budget and it like, you can kind of tell what it's going for. And I think what it's going for, it does is succeed overall. You know me though. I love my little indie flicks (laughs) when they're done. Well, (laughs) I didn't dislike it. I just, you know, Paris, yeah, you were, yeah. you were about to to say Charlie something. Charlie Kaufman needs to take a pass at the script, dude. <laughs> just a quick punch up, and this would be like five star film. <laughs> just a little punch up, uh, Paris. Oh yeah, I was just gonna kind of uh, go off of what Travis was saying about how they like. You're not sure. Like the film doesn't give you those answers. It just kind of brings up a lot of questions. Like, how long has he been a vampire? It sort of seems like probably his whole life, or something, because he kind of has that socially stunted way of being, where he's kind of like he probably hasn't had like much interaction, if any, with the outside world. And I was wondering because there, it, it sort of seems like the house that they're living in was probably their parents. You know, it's kind of old and and very outdated and 
and yet the parents aren't there. And I thought that that was kind of a really, it felt like a gap that was very purposeful. And I kind of wondering, like, you know, obviously the movie expects you to sort of fill in your own story or fill in the gaps there with whatever you think. But I thought that that was, I don't know. I thought that that was kind of interesting the way it doesn't give you all the information and you sort of have to come up with your own. I like that. I know, Matt, you said that you felt like that that kind of stuff is more interesting. But, uh, you know, we've seen plenty of vampire movies where they tell us where the vampire comes from. Like, do we care? Like, I don't know. I don't really care anymore. That part didn't <laughs> really bother me. I mean, I didn't need the lore or, like, the family background because that's not really what the movie is interested in exploring anyway. So that, that didn't bother me so much as just... I don't know. It, it didn't just didn't help. grab you. It didn't grab me. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel like Patrick Fugit is kind of the weak link. I, that guy's <gasps> not a very good How actor. dare you? <laughs> I, sorry if that offends, but. I, How dare you? In general, the performances are not great, but in a movie with not great performances, what? he even stood out to me. <laughs> I am sure. I thought all the performances. Just kind of unconvincing. Yeah. I don't know. I just wasn't buying it. His I will say. Okay. I thought the ending was kind of weak. The very end, when he's like, gets out of his car and is like standing. Yeah, dude, road trip, free and free, baby. Oh my god, no! But his Soaking little in like the salty air. smirk or smile he gives, it's just it's like okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it was that was that's You're a free, little. Yeah. That was like a little. Your family like, sucked. Like, <laughs> packing up his guitar. Kurt, Kurt, I watched this with Kurt, and he yeah. was like, "Oh, I guess he plays guitar now." What? <laughs> hitting the road, got my guitar. So embarrassing. He's for like, him. "I finally ditched those he's losers, like, and I can just go sleep with a million prostitutes." <laughs> I know he's gonna go become a singer songwriter on the road or something. Like, what are you doing, Patrick? No. Yeah, <laughs> tonally, it felt a little off. You know, yeah. like compared to what the rest of the movie was going for because you have like his conflict compared to his sister's just utter dedication to the family and preserving the family unit and whatever cost you have to you know protect their baby brother like well then spoilers when the vampire brother was finally like yeah i'm done let's let's kill me Patrick Fuchs here is like, fuck, finally, dude. <laughs> Been waiting for this day. <laughs> it, well, so what about that scene? I, I was kind of underwhelmed by that, too, because it's just like, I mean, I get it's low budget, but like, you know, you just, all, all it is is he just pulls down the blinds, or not the blinds, the curtains or whatever, and lets nature take its course. You I want guess. a bigger set piece? I wanted blood. I want to see blood boiling. I wanted to hear the screams. Or the scene from Let the Right One In when she fucking goes up in flames. Oh, yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so you can do cool shit with no money. So what are you doing? My heart can't be. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that like, I mean, most of this movie, like the horror, like the gore of it all is more like after, right? Like They, they blew their uh, their effects load on, on his burnt arm. Well, I was thinking like bathtub <laughs> full of blood because that looked awesome. Mm-hmm. No, it looked okay. like a bathtub Bye. full of blood. <laughs> I don't know. That scene was great. Whatever, whatever. It's fine. I haven't often seen an unconvincing bathtub full of blood. It's a pretty easy aesthetic to nail, I think. But you know, the Who burns on his arm though look good for this type of movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's, it's just makeup. You know, clever makeup. 
What did you guys think Told about me. like the <laughs> the shots in the scene where he picks up the guy and he's in the truck and all the shots are like through the window Loved until it. the actual like chase scene happens? I know you're t- like the light reflecting on off the yeah. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were some cool shots, especially towards the beginning. Um, but again, it's just like, that's pretty much its production value right there. <laughs> A couple cool shots. Uh, I don't know. Wasn't impressed. No. Yeah. Matt never gets fooled. Felt like a <laughs> film school, uh, <laughs> fargery, you know, <laughs> first time director, never, you know, you're I want to show how, how cool I am. Unless we're watching <laughs> Unless we're watching it on like 780p, you're like never impressed with the movie. You're like, did you see? Did you see that terrible movie where they had the worst effects in the world? I'm thinking specifically of Thanksgiving. Um, uh, yeah, I thought you were coming for Black Sheep, and I was about to go off on you because that movie no, has killer. No, we effects. watched Black Sheep in the. <laughs> I mean, I watched Black Sheep. <laughs> Three, and it was basically 360p. All pixels. All pixels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, before we wrap up, because it feels like we're kind of done, um, I did just want to say this was shot in 20 days, and I thought that that was really impressive to even have any effects in anything, like for something shot so quickly. What if, what effects? Are we talking about his arm? It's just makeup. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Come on, guys. You're so easily impressed. Matt, anytime anyone is murdered, there is effects, okay? Like, I don't, I'm tired of your holier than now, I went to film school bullshit, okay? Those are effects. These people are professionals, 20 days. Come on. Scorsese filmed Taxi Driver in 18 days. I just made that up, but would it be, that'd be cool, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, uh, Matt's, Matt's really sinking his teeth into this one. Oh yeah, um, not a bad movie, not a bad movie by any means. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about it though. Any other points you guys wanted to mention before we move on to part two of the double feature? I will just say, Matt, it is funny that you watch a movie like this and you're like, eh, but then when you watch something like Starry Eyes, you're like, oh my god, it's just amazing. But like, mm-hmm. to me, they're like. This is the better movie, and like I just I don't know. Oh, I don't... This is way, way, way better than Starry Eyes. Are we joking right now? <laughs> oh, God, you guys, you just don't joking? know art. Okay, come on. <laughs> this is Cinephiles Digest, not fucking Marvelhead Digest. No, come on, it's not. This is the Digest. You fucking idiot. Part of the Cinephiles Digest family of podcasts. But yes, you are. Right. Sure. This is the sure. the trashy. This is sure. Rob. You're in Matt's <laughs> universe now. <Paris. laughs> this is Rob Zombie's oh Halloween to John Carpenter's Halloween. Out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you started it. You introduced I want out yourself. of this universe. <laughs> okay. Do we want to drop stars? Let's do it. Two point five out of five. Ouch. Paris. 3.5, baby. I am also a 3.5. I think that is about its ceiling, though. I don't think it can really get much higher than that. I saw that was both your first and current watch rating, so. Yeah. 
It's just one you, everything you needed to see or hear. You know, you can get it all. In I, one no, tape. I did. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I did not get anything out of a rewatch. If, <laughs> but it wasn't like it. I guess it didn't have diminishing returns. It was just yeah, exactly what it was the first time. Mm-hmm. It's not like so, a like a grape that you know ages and can be a fine wine. It's this movie's a Twinkie. Yep. <laughs> It's going to taste the same to 50 years from now. It's going to taste and look exactly the same. And you're going to be like, yep, that's the thing I ate. Oh, my God. Anyway. Wasn't, a, you know, not a waste of calories, but, you know, was Matt, it worth it? Let's move who can, who can say? on. I'm over you. Who can say? Okay, let's move on. We're going to do the house that Jack built. You want to take a quick break? Uh, we sure can if you like. All right, we'll be right back. All right, we are back, moving into part two of our double feature. We're talking The House That Jack Built. This is, as of the time of this recording, the most recent Lars von Schreer film. Plot synopsis, the story follows Jack, a highly intelligent serial killer, over the course of 12 years and depicts the murders that really develop his inner madman. Film stars Matt Dillon, Bruno Ganz, Uma Thurman, Riley Keough, some other jabronis. Those are the recognizable names. So where do we even fucking start with this one? Um, Travis, do you want to go first mm-hmm. on this one? Mm, not really. All right. Well, <laughs> Paris, do you want me to go first? <laughs> Sure. Um, first of all, I would like to say that I um, had to watch this movie in two batches because I watched about an hour of it, was like, what the fuck, and had to stop. Um, <laughs> yes. And then I watched the other hour and a half. I did not realize this was a two and a half hour movie when I picked it. It was mm. an adventure, you know. Pairing a 90 minute movie with a two and a half hour movie, like, is, is the whole thing. Um... And then the second hour and a half came and I was like, is this capital A art? I don't know how I feel about it. He got you hook, line, and sinker. So I almost, so that's what I was trying to say. So like the first third of this movie, I was like, this is bad. I hate it. I don't want to keep watching this. And then I was like, I kind of fell for all the bullshit. So I'm very mixed. I'm very in between. Do I love it? Do I hate it? Is this Lars von Trier's best comedy? I don't know. I don't know. I wanted to, this was another one that I wasn't sure about and really wanted to talk to you guys about it. Well, uh, I'll, I'll go next. So this is my second time watching this movie. And I have a, how do I put this? Lars von Trier for me is like kind of an anomaly. So I I have not seen very many of his movies. So I have seen four of them. And Dancer in the Dark is one of my favorite movies. It's in my top 100 of all time. And Antichrist is the second worst movie I've ever seen in my whole fucking life. So... I find him to be a very interesting uh, director. Um, 
first time I saw this movie, did not like it very much. Gave it a 2.5. Uh, second time around, uh, still don't like it very much, but uh, <laughs> I think I'm starting to get it. It's, this movie is basically just, it's so masturbatory. Like, the whole thing you could view as, like, Jack is almost like a a placeholder for Lars von Trier himself and the whole thing being an exploration of what is art uh, sub, you know, using this subject matter. Can you make art out of it? I mean, homeboys made a whole career out of it, but to be like so self-referential and explicit, like I think weirdly enough where the movie kind of won me over was where, he's talking about the nature of like violence in art and literally shows clips from his other movies in this movie. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, Oh buddy, this, this is, um, I think I just found more to admire the second time around and was more interested in, but for a movie about a brutal killer, it's kind of dull. I don't know how you guys felt, but it's a pretty dull movie for me for most of its running time. And I guess I'll I'll leave it there for now and let Travis give his uh, thoughts. Yeah, so I'll piggyback off both of you. I feel pretty similar to Paris after watching this for a second time. And yeah, it is pretty masturbatory and I think a little too long. Like it just... I don't know. I feel like it would have been more effective if it was shorter. Like some of the incidents just drag on way too long. Um, and maybe there's some like good humor or, or like reason for it. But like, I don't know. I didn't really find it that funny. Like there's moments that I can tell he's trying to be funny, but in like a like sick and twisted way. But I didn't really find it funny. I mean, the movie's for the most part pretty messed up. Um pretty graphic and terrible but um yeah the whole like art angle i just i don't know i kind of like what he's going for but i also dislike it at the same time Mm -hmm. like i don't every time he like tries to like explain like art and like critiques on art and like breaks away to like clips from his own movies or like from other art and just like the the like inner dialogue or like the storytelling nature of it uh, with Verge, the guy he's like telling or recalling the incidents to, I just found all of that to just be a little like draining. I, I don't, yeah, I don't really know how to feel about this movie. There's parts of it I like about it, and there's parts I dislike, but overall it's too long. So I think I'm more on the negative side and. Now that I've seen it twice, I don't know if I'll ever come back to it just because I kind of know what I'm getting into at this point and I don't really feel like I can get more out of it or like it more than I do now. I don't know. See, I'm I'm going to push back on that part just a little bit only because it seems for the most part that the people who like truly adore this movie are big Lars heads, you know? Like... I the I agree with you in that I have very little interest in watching this movie again, uh, except I would be curious 
af- if I if I do ever like a go retrospective. back, exactly. If I do go back and watch all of his other movies, because he has a lot of movies, some of which I'm genuinely wanting to watch, like Dogville, for example. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've never seen Dogville or Breaking the Waves. Breaking the Waves and Melancholia is like the other one that I'm like genuinely interested in watching. But if I ever mm-hmm. found myself at a place where I like go through his whole filmography, I think that would be an opportunity to come back and watch this a third and probably final time. Just because it's so heavily rooted in like Lars von Trier as an artist, you know? That Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe because I'm not, like I'm familiar with his his shtick at this point, but I don't really have a deep appreciation for it because I've really only liked one of his movies, you know? Like Nymphomaniac, I did not like. I didn't even watch part two because I disliked the first one so much. So it's Mm -hmm. like, that's my only frame of reference is two movies I really, really don't like, one I absolutely love, and then this, right? So it's like... It's an interesting film for me to try and engage and interact with just because I feel like it's not really for me. And that's part of what makes the film so interesting and kind of repulsive at the same time is that it kind of feels like he made this movie for like, you know, his fans and critics alike, but you kind of have to have like like can you imagine just putting this movie on like with no idea of who Lars von Trier is as a person or an artist and just like, Oh, Matt Dillon. Cool. <laughs> Let's put this on, you know, and w- what your experience would be like, like what the fuck? See, I, I mean, I think that having the background of knowing who Lars von Trier is and like knowing what he's about is definitely helpful to have like probably the interpretation and like the larger picture of how this is like, I would say less masturbatory, more like autobiographical and uh, more like a self-portrait in that way. But I I don't know. I, I don't think you need to like be a fan to appreciate and enjoy. Like, if I'm being honest, I've only seen like both parts of Nymphomaniac, which I really liked. Part one more than part two. Excuse me. Um, and then Melancholia, I tried to watch a few years ago, and I didn't finish it. It's been on my, you know, I, I want to finish it for a while, but I think I was, like, feeling depressed, and it's so depressing. And I was like, oh, no, I can't handle this right now. I, I can't um, believe I haven't seen it. I don't know how that one has escaped me all these years. I'm going to be honest, Matt. It's It was it, it was tough. Like, make sure you're not sad, because you're going to be sad. You're gonna want to die when you're watching it a little bit, but not necessarily in a bad way, just in like a, you know, don't watch it when you're down kind of way. Mm. Um, anyway, I, aside from that though, like I really found this intriguing and it made me want to watch more of his movies. It made me more so than Nymphomaniac, way more so the melancholia like i was like this seems so interesting and part of it was and i don't know if the rest of his like stuff has this but it was so referential to like a million different things one of which being like what i like which is like or something i'm interested in which is kind of like 
the psychology behind serial killers like we've talked about this before but like there's a lot of like stuff he borrows from real serial killers in this and then like the really dark fucked up jokes like one that I specifically wrote down because I thought it was so funny was when he was like oh god where is it oh yeah when he says I don't know a lot about decaying bodies but I do know a thing or two about dessert wine oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) I was dying and then he just goes and keeps fucking talking about wine. Oh, yeah. The different kinds know. of ways you can make dessert wine and how it relates to bodies. Yeah. It's so I saw someone. There's someone I follow on Letterboxd who like really, really loves this movie. And I saw her at some point tweet that like this is this movie is a comedy and you should watch it as such. So I kind of went into it through that lens a little bit on the second watch and while i do think it is pretty funny at times like i think that's probably when i like the movie the most is when it's just like really morbidly funny and dark and like you're probably you're you're supposed to laugh but you kind of feel bad for laughing like i really like that kind of humor a sick sense of humor that works for me it's when it's like I mean, the fact that the, the he's narrating this whole story to Verge, which is just fucking Virgil. Like, it's it's Dante's Inferno, you know? Like, it literally is, like... Right. The fact that it's so literal, I don't know. That he comes across as even more pretentious to me because he's literally just, like, combining elements of this story with Dante's Inferno and, like, having a character named Verge. And even Verge, at one point, is like, man, I give you applause because I've done this with some sick fucks before and you've actually given me some things to consider and you know like basically acting like he's one of the most messed up people he's ever encountered like escorting through hell i get that's the point but i was just like i don't know is this supposed to be funny like is that a part of his sense of humor do you think the the concept of like virgil leading him through hell and him telling it i felt like that was more supposed to be so you understand that the story is completely told from his perspective and not just in an unreliable narrator way but even more so than that in a way of like someone who's telling the story who's almost bragging who's making things larger and less realistic than they are like, I was thinking about this a lot afterward, and, like, like you know, in the beginning, when Uma, Uma Thurman's character is acting in a way that seems so ridiculous, you almost want him to kill her. Mm-hmm. I, in my head, was like, that doesn't make sense. So I, I kind of looked at it after as, like, he is telling this story to Verge, right? And he's specifically picking these specific people I don't think that's actually how that incident went down. I think that that is kind of what he was feeling in his head, you know, like that's how he was feeling. And so he's making her say all these things where you're like, why are you doing this? Like he should just kill her. And like, that's how he felt. That's not really what was happening. And I think that makes it even more comical almost like, and even more, interesting when you kind of it's not just a story that goes from a to b it's like fully this exaggerated version and it's almost more like interesting to figure out like maybe what really happened and stuff mm-hmm. oh totally that's part of what ma- makes the film so interesting but the, f- the flip side of that 
is do you guys remember the conversation where it's maybe like halfway two thirds of the way through I don't know how much you guys know about Lars von Trier but he has been heavily criticized for like the way he treats women in his stories and in real life like Bjork was like very outspoken about how horrible it was to work with him and he was like borderline abusive and there have been like other actresses who have had like similar stories about working with him but there is a moment where he's he's having a conversation with Verge and Verge mentions he brings up the fact he's like don't you find it interesting that you've only like the stories you've chosen have all been like women. What is it about women? Like there's like, he goes out of his way to like address the misogyny thing. But I, I kind of found it a little underwhelming, like the way he chose to go about like Jack's rationale. He was like, Oh, I kill men too. And just like, I don't know. It just felt like a kind of offhanded way of addressing the criticism that he's a misogynist without actually doing anything and maybe that's his intention was to be like you know call me a misogynist if you want this is the art i make which fair more power to him i guess but i don't know like it just he just kind of seems like a gross guy he's a fascinating guy a fascinating filmmaker and this movie is fascinating but i don't he's know a man provocateur. <laughs> yeah that's his whole thing mm-hmm. i think you of all people matt would be more interested in that with your like fascination with like Takashi Miike and like other stuff Stanley like that. Stanley Kubrick. Like, he was a provocateur as well. Definitely. One of the one of the greats. And like isn't that I don't know. I, I didn't know necessarily all of that. I mean I have a little bit of the provocateur stuff that I wanted to talk about in a bit but I in my mind I thought it was more like I took it almost in the opposite way. Where he's calling him out on his misogyny and you know, Jack doesn't have really, like, his reasoning behind it is exactly the kind of shallow reasoning that someone who's a misogynist would, would say, you know, like, oh, well, I kill men too. I'm just choosing to tell you these stories because, I don't know, whatever, they're random. Right. Obviously, they're not. <laughs> you know, like, and I thought that that, I took that more as, like, like making fun of the misogyny in his character and making fun of people who are misogynists. So it's interesting that like maybe you knowing more about Lars von Trier gave you a different impression. I, it's also, it's hard for me to be like, impo- what's the word? Impartial, not impartial, um, unbiased when it comes to that, because that was my reaction watching Antichrist was, wow, this is the most misogynist piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. That was my reaction to Antichrist. So when he goes out of his way to like have that be like a talking point. And I don't know the fact that like I agree with you 100 percent that like Jack's response in the film is like, you know, he's deflecting. And that's 100 percent what, you know, a narcissist would say, a misogynist would say in response to that. But it was just like, I don't know. It's not good enough for me. I wish he had actually like. It, it, it would have come across as more like, inge- like not disingenuous. It's the opposite of disingenuous. Genuine. It would have come across as more genuine if he like actually tried to grapple with that aspect of his art, and he didn't. Which is fine. Maybe that's just him doubling down on you know, I'm not a misogynist. You can say whatever the fuck you want about me. Here's a character being flippant about it. 
that's part of the reason why I find the movie so fascinating because it's like, who else could make this fucking movie? Nobody. You know what I mean? Like, he's a singular filmmaker, and this, in many ways, is a singular film. Well, I don't know. He gets off on people's reactions. I mean, this was the guy who oh, made yeah. like a Hitler joke at cons and then got banned. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So actually, um, uh, ja- uh, House That Jack Built was the first film he showed at uh, Cannes since um, since 2011 when he got uh, banned from from there when he was promoting Melancholia um, because he joked about being a Nazi. Right. They kicked him out for a whole seven years. Good job, cons. <laughs> Good for you. Um, I I will go back to my point about like not getting more out of it. And yeah, Matt, I agree that um, as like a if you did like a retrospective, it might be more interesting. Um, or if like someone did like a think piece or someone who had like all the references, you know, pointed out, I think it, I would get more out of it. But like, the the thought of me going back into this just like I'm gonna watch the house that Jack built again like I don't think I'll ever have that thought yeah yeah that's that's totally fair <laughs> um, and that that actually brings me back to something I wanted to to ask you guys so uh, Paris you said you had to watch it in two chunks because it was like you had a hard time watching it I I don't know maybe it's just because I'm desensitized to this stuff at this point but like I didn't really have that reaction watching this movie. As far as like not, for it me, it was like so too long up, or know? slow, um, like more so than being like too gruesome. Right, yeah, like the, it had a reputation for being, you know, brutal and gruesome and crazy. It's Lars von Trier, holy shit! But then I watched it and I was like, I mean, it, we just watched the sadness, so right. If anything, it seemed <laughs> yeah, tame I, almost. You know, I was gonna say. <laughs> Being on this podcast with you two people, um, <laughs> I think that I've become, I've, I've always, like when I was really younger, I used to love gore. Like it, I thought it was funny. Like I loved it. As I got older and whatever, I became less, you know, more sensitive and whatever. And then doing this podcast with y'all, like truly, I no longer think anything is terrible. Like when he built the house out of people, I was like, that's cool. It wasn't like that the was gore. Cool, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> but that might be a lot for some people, you know. Um, I think that it wasn't the gore by any means. It was the length. It was the where are we going? What are we doing? It was the not understanding the perspective of this is an unreliable narrator. I was like, uh, just fucking what what are we doing like, maybe a bit of an intimidation factor in a sense just because it's like there's no. a lot to it no not intimidation i was bored i was bored and uninterested and i felt mm-hmm. like what the movie was saying wasn't interesting so what oh sorry i'm gonna cut you off go ahead no 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 it's fine i was gonna see if you guys could help me track the incidents like put them in order with me. The first one was was the Uma Thurman one, right? Mm-hmm. The second one was that the old lady at the house where he pretends to be like a policeman, and then he's like an insurance not adjuster. an old lady, yeah. but I mean, yes, she's not old. old I'm pretty but, sure yeah, she was older. the same age as Matt Dillon. So, well, maybe a little well, older. A little older. I Matt, will Matt look up the actress. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was like, Matt Dillon is He's like aged in his pretty 50s, well, though. right? Oh, yeah, he looks great. Mm-hmm. I mean, Homeboy was in fucking Drugstore Cowboys, and that came out, what, 1989 he or something? He was in The Outsiders. Yeah, or, uh, oh, yeah, Rumble, even older. Rumblefish. He's a real hunk in that. Rumblefish, yep. Uh, what the fuck was I saying? Okay, so what was the third one? Was that the family? Yes, with the yes, w- the mother and the two kids. Yes, I. That was probably it's 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 weird that I'm about to pick a favorite murder, right? <laughs> but like <laughs> that, the third incident or whatever, I thought I kind of broke things up for me in an interesting way because it was like so different from the previous two. You know, like his behavior, he's like kind of he's pretending to be a different person, and like the. Not that I'm surprised that Lars von Trier would go there, but the fact that, like, you know, there's children murdered and the whole, like, staging of the body where you have, like, the smiling kid in the freezer. I was like, oh, like, that was creepy. And the hunting, uh, what, did they, what did he call it when he was describing what they did in England? The hunting parade Oh, the trophies. The, yeah, yeah, the, the trophy trophies, parade or whatever. The way yeah. he displayed it with the crows. Yeah. Oh, love that. Love that, too. Good shit. And then is the fourth one Riley Keough? Yep. Okay. So what am I? What was the fifth one? Why so am they I not? don't actually. They don't actually call. There's a third murder that they don't include in the incident three, and that is. Is that the lady so he hits that... with the car? Oh yeah. <laughs> no. That was earlier in the movie, I think, where oh. he runs over was... the old lady. Yeah, that might have been that after was while incident he too. has the other lady in the back seat. No, incident three. No, the third murder we see is not considered an incident. He doesn't label it as such, which I thought was interesting. It's the one where he's also clearly dating the woman, and then it's really brief, and then he like strangles her. Do you guys remember that? No. Mm, I thought that was the Riley Keough character. No, that that this happens before that. Or incident two, I know he chokes her. Incident two is the woman in the house, and then they don't go yeah. to a new incident. He's just telling another story. Oh, I know, I know what you're talking about. It's because that's the one where he like wasn't happy with the pictures. So we see yes. the murder, but then he goes back to the freezer to get her body, and that's that's where he's talking about like. And then he like. Yes, restages exactly, it, exactly. and he like liked the pictures because With he did the two the bodies woman that together. He hit. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that that was kind of weird that they didn't consider that a separate incident, though. I was, yeah, I I, I noticed that and was like, hmm, eh, that would have fucked up the five act structure. You know, there's no six act classic, you know, plays. Well, there is an epilogue. Well, right, but I will say the epilogue was probably my favorite part that that's um, for sure that's, that's kind of what makes the movie for me <laughs> visually it's pretty awesome like some of those like red cave like hell mm-hmm, the um, fields of elysian shots. is that like the, the one that's like a slow-mo with the like, with the recreation scythe. of the painting no not that that's cool too but oh, yeah. the scythes the, the the men in the field with the scythes oh yeah that's pretty well, cool my favorite shot look- though is when they like are like it's a shot like underwater and they're like at the top of the water and they're just like floating yes it f- f- totally out of nowhere and yeah, it just kind of cuts super back cool. to the journey oh yeah very cool <laughs> 
Or even when they have like those like two orbs on them, and they're like, when they like, even, like, when the they fall in the little bubbles, yeah, yeah. I that was the <laughs> only part in the movie that I was like, what the fuck is this? This is, does not look like good quality. They should not have had this. This that was the only part. And the dumb little bubbles, I cannot. That's just him going like full, full pretentious. Like, this is me at my most pretentious, literally descending hell with Verge, aka Virgil. I mean, I like that. I I loved the living painting. Yeah, where they did like the crossing of the river Styx, but with real people. Like, and it was like so slow and subtle that you like realize they're moving, but it's not until they've already moved. Like. I loved that. That was so cool. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the very end, I mean, the fact that Jack is such a narcissist that Verge is like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can try it. I'm not going to tell you no, but many men have tried and no one has done it. And he was just like, I'll fucking take my chances, dude. And then he just tries it. And of course he falls and, you know, it's uh, plummets Anakin. to the deepest depths of hell. And that's, <laughs> that's his fate. It's Anakin also and Obi Wan all over literal... again. Where Obi Wan says he has the high ground, and Anakin <laughs> literally. <laughs> Anytime you go in a volcano, still goes for it. <laughs> also, there's a literal like it's small, but there's a literal stairway to heaven. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, just you get to the other side, and you can just take the stairs up back to the top. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that's a very interesting thing to end the movie on because the whole time. Jack is getting like sloppier and sloppier and it's almost like he's wanting to get caught and at every at every at every place where you think he might possibly get caught all the way up to the end where he like is surrounded by the police and they're drilling through it they're literally shooting at him he just like you know is in you know the house that Jack built and falls through the fucking hole and then that's where the epilogue starts but like but there's a moment where you're like him Matt and the epilogue is all happening his in his head. Yeah. We'll see. It's possible. I, it's all, the whole hell. movie. <laughs> the whole movie is in his head, right? So, like, the fact that he was able to steal a police car and have that going and all of that, like, a, a lot of it doesn't make sense if you take it literally, right? So, like, obviously, at the end, he was killed, and obviously, that's him going to hell. Well, know? right, and all the narration stuff is taking place, like after that moment like all of the narration we right. hear is happening like as he's journeying through but yeah no so, i like, mean obviously even him like getting even him getting sloppier i kind of took with a grain of salt because there's like like when she's screaming like when riley keogh's character is just screaming and screaming and screaming out the window like like someone would come eventually and he just like and when he puts like the boob under the cops <laughs> oh the yeah kitty under the cops windshield one great visual, great visual, mm-hmm. especially when he had the coin wallet later. Chef's oh, that was so gross. <laughs> I, I loved it. I mean, me too. Very, but... very Ed Gein. Like it was so good, but also like that's not realistic, right? Like he literally put a titty in full view of a cop under the window. Like it just. Or how about you know, when it... he uh, drags that body behind the van and then divine intervention kicks in that was so washes it all away (laughs) and like the person's face is like rubbed off i died that was where i think i had paused it like before that 
and that was like right after we like started watching it again and i was like i'm back in baby <laughs> that's the best stuff in the movie like the body being dragged and th- that's like a long yeah. scene you see like the blood trail for like a long time and just like the face being dragged on the concrete <laughs> i just wish there was more of that like that was the stuff like the dark humor is what i enjoyed most about the movie but i just felt like there wasn't enough of it for me yeah well uh, yeah i just don't know if i reacted to all of the attempts at humor but yeah, I think who they knows? were there. Maybe there was more stuff that is supposed to be funny and just didn't didn't play. I will as say funny though, me, but. anytime someone uses David Bowie in their movie, makes it a little bit better. Oh, God. oh my God. Do we Every need to hear fame, fame 45 times? Yeah. I used to love that song. <laughs> I now, that I don't song. know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. Fame. Like, I just, I couldn't get it out of my head. A little much. Don't much. Well, you can say that about the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You guys have anything else? Um. Yeah, I do. Um. I I think we touched on it a little bit, but I do think the movie is trying to say something about like humanity and its relationship to violence. Just like watching this movie is like kind of like a commentary on that, and like our like fascination with serial killers. I think he's tapping into that a little bit. Um, and then also there's a lot of um, like references to other pieces of art. Like um, one in particular was, um, and I, I only found this out by watching a YouTube video, but um, you know the parts where he's holding up the signs like in the alleyway? Yes, uh-huh, in that front of the van. Ripped, yeah, that was ripped from... Uh, don't look back. The Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's like, music video. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I saw like, that as well. Uh, Dante's Inferno, obviously, we touched on that already. Um, and then just like even other serial killers, like there's some Ed Gein stuff in here. And then I feel like it's also playing with Jack the Ripper, like also well the, the name, the, yeah, the name, one hundred percent. I feel also, like Bundy for sure too, right? Like he kind of—I was getting Bundy vibes from, yeah, from uh, Dylan's portrayal as well. Well, and didn't Bundy well, also, also just target women for the most part? Yeah. Yes, and also, um, so the part where Riley Keough's character goes to the cop, and the cop's like, "You're drunk," and tells her to go back to Jack is a reference to uh, something that happened with one of Jeffrey Dahmer's victims was a young um, queer boy. And um, tried to go to the police and uh, Dahmer was like, sorry, this is, you know, my friend, he's really wasted. And the police <laughs> was like, don't do that again and put and gave him back to Dahmer so he could murder him. Well, that I'm, I'm glad you brought that scene up because when when he comes out, when she's talking to the cop and he comes out and he was like, everything this woman has said is true i have killed 60 people (laughs) (laughs) and the fact that the cop is like all right get your friend upstairs have a good night and then just fucking leaves it's like one classic cop behavior ultra ridiculous but it's also being told from his perspective so maybe it wasn't quite as ridiculous whatever but it's also like yeah it does feel like this cop's like ah you drunk young lady like how dare you go back to your man Mm mm-hmm 
But it's it's funny that that's literally like a reference to a real thing that happened with a real right. serial killer's victim. I, I feel like that's also another thing he's trying to touch on with violence that like people kind of like turn away now to violence and just let victims, you know, get victimized. <laughs> well, and that's always kind of been the case, like the whole, um, uh, what is it? I can't remember the name of the what happened, but there was an issue where there was an apartment building and someone was in the courtyard being sexually assaulted and she kept yelling rape and help and no one wanted to help. And from that yeah. incident is why they tell you to like yell fire instead of rape. Because there were like 44 people or something that heard her calling. Yeah, for help yeah, exactly. And, and that was helped. like in the. 50s, 60s, 70s, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy, but that kind of it stuff felt very all like the time. when she was screaming like that. It felt very much a reference to that as well. Like no one wants to help, and we've become desensitized to that. Also, a thought I just had is Jack the Ripper like one of the first known serial killers, or at least documented, I guess. Um, I don't the house know. that Jack built. Huh? like he's he's the most like jack the ripper is definitely what we would consider like the first modern serial killer he's like the nosferatu of of serial killers yeah where it's like myths and fables definitely existed before then but this was the most like codified because that this was in like the late 1800s right like there were definitely serial killers before then it just would have been so much harder to find these people and harder to know if someone was doing murders in the 1600s in America, let's say someone was doing murders in the 1600s, East coast, Canada, South, West coast, mid coast, like even state to state, like there weren't states then, but you guys know what I mean? Like people would have no way of knowing this, right? They'd be like, Oh, someone got killed here. We don't know, have any way of knowing that someone got killed you know, 500 miles away, right? And so I think that this was the first time that they were like, this is definitely the same person doing the same thing and what we just consider, like, the birth of modern serial killers. Well, that, but also there were, like, at the time, there were, like, newspapers and stuff, right? It was, like, the early advent of, like, like, that case in particular, I think, was known, like, all over it was like international because of like the media coverage because there were actually like reporters and newspapers right it was like early journalism like sensationalizing murder like obviously there were serial killers who existed before but it was just like you know some dude who would just go around killing people it's like no one knew any better it's just like the village knew that people were had gone missing but it was like you know with the onset of industrialization and journalism and all that stuff well and i mean the term serial killer didn't even exist until like the late 1970s when the fbi like started Mm -hmm. looking into behavioral science behind like and actually creating like profiles of killers and realizing like someone who's killing a bunch of times like what that actually means so i think that the the concept of a serial killer is fairly modern despite the fact that there were definitely people that killed a lot of people back in the day right Yeah, yeah Cool, cool. What yep. else you guys got? I'm good. 
I'm tapped. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. <laughs> Paris, what about you? Uh, exactly the same as Travis. I'm tapped. I'm hot. <laughs> Wish I could be running my AC right now. Let's go. We're done. <laughs> All right. Well, let's give star ratings. Um, first time I watched this movie, I gave it a 2.5. I'm going to go ahead and bump it up to a 3 this time. Hey. hey. Paris? I give this one a four. Wow, you love this movie. <laughs> I uh. <laughs> would have given it a five if I hadn't had my initial bad reaction. Not really, but like a four point five maybe. Wow. It dropped a half star for for me having to like pick it back up again. All right. Well, like Matt alluded to, hook line and sinker. This one got gotcha. Um <laughs> For me, first watch three point five. That was probably just, you know, throwing a dart at the wall, seeing where it's stuck. Uh, I was going to actually go down to a 2.5 on this one, but after our conversation, I'm back up to a 3. Not quite a 3.5. Hell yeah. I feel and it's one of those. If you guys ever want to do the uh, LVT retrospective and we can uh, do this one to end it, let's do it. Yeah. Next time you uh, get a wild hair Actually, up your ass and you want to do a Lars von Trier or like a director uh, double feature, you can do a von Trier one. Although he doesn't really make horror movies. But are they horror? Necessarily. Yeah, I don't really feel like that would work for this pod, but we could also just do that for funsies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that was a bad idea. Never mind. Yeah, for funsies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it it did. I will say it did give me an urge to start going back and revisiting some of this stuff. Um, we got to do a Melancholia like retro review because I've seen that movie once, but I feel like it kind of went over my head and it's been probably at least 10 years now since I've seen it. So I would love to go revisit that one. We'll just we'll, we'll get a lineup of retrospective. We still have to do the skin I live in. We'll do like the skin I live in Melancholia fucking we gotta come up know. with a clever spin-off the departed or something retro reviews <laughs> like cine retro or something yeah well not we'll, that. we'll workshop that it yeah, yeah, not, up, that, but... not that not that not that but we'll, we'll, we'll workshop definitely it. We'll workshop not that but... <laughs> you're on to something there <laughs> okay okay come on <laughs> all right travis it's uh your turn next why don't all you right. tell the listeners and paris what uh what we have in store so, Matt, I'm actually throwing a curveball. The one oh, no. I what have you done? gave you yesterday is going to be put on the shelf for now. Oh, man. All right. Well, now I'm in the dark. What is it? So, I have decided we'll get into the, I guess, parallels or themes on the actual episode. But the double feature I'm going with is I Saw the Devil and The Wailing. They're both two korean i guess horror flicks they're more like mystery like police procedural crime drama type movies but there's definitely horrific elements in them they're both about two and a half hours long so uh carve out some time but i guarantee travis you have it'll be worth it i know i know i know but it'll be worth it uh two banger movies i think there's some parallels we can get into it's going to be a good time. 
I've never seen I Saw the Devil, so I'm excited. Oh, Am I excited me, uh, to watch see. almost six hours of content when I'm less than a month away from moving across the country? Yes. Not necessarily, but, you know. Yes, you are. Be- yes, you are, Matt. <sighs> I'll make it work. <laughs> I'll make it work. All right, so... Uh, I saw the devil is apparently on Canopy for free, so you guys can watch it there. I own the Blu-ray, and then um, the Whaling I think should still be streaming either on Prime or f- well, it's not on Prime anymore, but it's on Shutter, Canopy, Peacock with ads. It's on a lot of stuff, but probably. You shudder. Yeah. All it right. says it's still on Prime. Is that not right? Not for me. Well, either way, your streaming app of choice, look it up, but definitely shudder. All right. The Wailing and I Saw the Devil. That's what's in store next. Hope you guys enjoy. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, that's going to do it. Yes, ma'am. I have two things. Mm. Quick. Yeah. What is the theme? Oh, we'll get into it. But it's like... Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can just call it South, South Korean... or Yeah, South Korean horror. For now. South Korean epic horror. It's being mysterious. Epic. Yeah, I was like... Epic, a.k.a. long. <laughs> yes. A.k.a. you said it's not really horror. It's actually mystery, so... Well, The Wailing okay. is definitely horror. I, I haven't seen I Saw the Devil, but... well. I mean, they definitely. I'm just saying, I got a they lot definitely of crap have for the no, no, no. They have the horror subgenre listed on them. I did not break a rule. Okay, fair enough. One. All right. Yes, the wailing is every genre known to man in one film, and it's huge. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also, also, I don't know if I need to spring this on you guys now or later, but uh, I plan on having a guest on this show. <laughs> are you gonna do you want to say who it is uh, on air or is this like a you'll tell us and that's favorite person in the world brian gosling trey <laughs> <laughs> no that that was a joke that dates back a, a few episodes back inside what? joke never mind kyle <laughs> oh our boy what, did Kyle. I, did I give Kyle shit on uh, a couple episodes ago? Oh, you mean ago? the person that Matt is jealous of in the world? <laughs> <laughs> that that conversation, yes, Ferris. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget. It's going to be huge. Uh, for well, that, wait, okay. for this episode? This, your, your episode? This, or? Yes, this episode in particular. Uh, the Wailing is actually one of Kyle's favorite films of all time. So I feel like we have to have him on because he's the expert. Well, I mean, well, I think he heard about it because of me, but I could be wrong. There, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> could be wrong there, I guess. But I will you not guys, say you it guys again, can. But remember what I just expertise. said. <laughs> Dude, you can duke out your expertise. On I'm the gonna episode. fucking wail on that little bitch. <laughs> I'm the whale king. Okay. <laughs> Come on my show and try to be the biggest whaling oh fan. I'll show him. God. Moving on. All right. I, I actually, I had a second thing. Yes, please. No. Nope. Um, we haven't talked about this on air, so feel free to cut it. You won't. But <laughs> I thought we should give our uh, letterbox profiles at the end of each episode. Sure. In case the listeners sure. want to follow us. I want to check her out. Um, yeah. So I am on Letterboxd uh, as Paris Wheel. 
Rhymes with Ferris wheel, but it's Paris, P-A-R-I-S-S. Wheel. W-H-E-E-L. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, I figured people know how to spell that, but like, there's an extra S in Paris, so like, well, I, don't know, I mean, whatever. To be fair, we're huge with the illiterate crowd, so this is an audio uh, <laughs> <laughs> medium, so that's <laughs> 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 kind of our lane. <laughs> um, what is my letterbox handle? Oh, my, I think it's just your first. It's and just last my name. name, yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. My name is Matt Sabrero, C E B R E R O S. You can find me there on Twitter too. It's my real ass name. Check her out. And my letterbox handle is also boring like Matt's. It is Travis Paul. And if you need tr- if you need help spelling that, um, just don't listen to the show. Spelled just <laughs> like Travis only- Scott. <laughs> But Paul. Matt said we are good with the illiterate, so you might need to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll put a QR code in the notes. You can just scan it, and we'll take your, uh, <laughs> our profiles. Or if you pay $99 on Patreon, we'll just send you the links to mm-hmm. our letterbox. That's where you'll find Only the... Only uh, $99 per month. All the links. The OnlyFans, the... <laughs> The, uh, that's God the truth, tr- the truth. Is that the name of the app? Is that that Donald? That's that Donald Trump version of Twitter, right? Truth, isn't that what that's called? <laughs> Follow me on sure. Truth Truth app at uh, TruePatriotSabreros.com or uh, you, uh, you know what I mean. Let's fucking end Woof. this. Shut her down. <laughs> Shut her down. All right, that's gonna do it. Oh, thank you, Kurt, for making the music for this show. You rule. Love you, Kurt. All right, that's gonna do it. Stay spooky. Stay scared. Stay slaying.